This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, governments the world over are spending like crazy to try and steer their economies through the COVID-19 crisis. Whether it's the fiscal policies of the government or the monetary policies of the central bank, all still revolves around using money that wasn't around a few months ago. So how much of what is happening is described by modern monetary theory and how much more could be done if we accepted that MMT is the way things should really work, if indeed that is the case? And do central banks or treasurers really understand it? I'm not sure I do entirely, but today we asked, can MMT solve the COVID-19 debt problem? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. So, Steve, let's have a look at modern monetary theory because it has been discussed a lot by governments the world over because they've all needed money, obviously, to, to fund their COVID-19 rescue efforts. Enough discussions being going on, in fact, for it to be discounted by many politicians. I mean, and you mentioned it in one of your recent posts that there was a motion raised in the, the US Congress to, uh, in the United States saying it is the duty of the House of Representatives to condemn modern monetary theory so there's a, a lot of opposition to it uh, and it's always that opposition is always it seems that argument that hey you know if we have modern monetary theory in in practice we're going to see runaway inflation that's the argument always used i think yeah the trouble is that we actually have it already because at least at the level of describing yeah. uh, how how um, finances work at the very basic level of how do you how do you create money uh, and how does it get distributed? We're already practicing it because it is literally a description of the existing system. And to say we shouldn't yeah. have it is saying we shouldn't have uh, our existing system. Now, there's people who agree with you on that front, like positive money, um, who want to ban uh, private money creation. But the reality of, of, of uh, modern monetary theory, as it's stated, and I've now done a, a Minsky model uh, of the basic dynamics, it's just describing what the financial flows are in a in a capitalist economy with private banks and with the government. But when people are arguing against it, aren't they arguing against the side that, you know, the money isn't paid back? So, so in effect, uh, it, you know, the, the, the debts with modern monetary theory, debts are sort of written off, aren't they? Whereas if you look at, let's look at what's happening with the Fed, for example, uh, th- just the size of the Fed's balance sheet. In 2008, it was about $1 trillion. Uh, before the crisis, it was $4 trillion. Now it's seven trillion, and we know that's never going to be paid back. Because how do you pay back seven trillion dollars? And we know that when when we've had quantitative easing, where the, uh, the the bonds have been issued by the treasury and the central bank has has bought it, the intention is that at some point they will get them off their balance sheet and put it back into into the money markets. But we know when they've tried that. It hasn't happened. So that is modern monetary theory, isn't it, in, in effect, except we're perhaps going through the, uh, the banking system. And why do we need to do that if we accept that the money is never going to be paid back? Uh, no, that is not modern monetary theory. All right, okay. Well, okay. well, okay. well there are, hence the misunderstanding for it. Well, that's, that's the practice of what's happening right it, it, now. It, anyway. What, what, what really is the problem is we, uh, everybody has an opinion about the monetary system and 
uh, only uh, myself working from the credit end, Richard Werner as well, and people like Anne Pettifors and Francis Coppola from that end, and then at the other uh, end, the government perspective, the modern monetary people, Randall Ray, Bill Mitchell, Stephanie Kelton, uh, have, tr have, have given different perspectives on the monetary system. So I've focused on the credit side of things. Modern mm. monetary theory is focused upon government money creation. Uh, we're trying to put the I'm, I'm trying to put the elephant together now and say this is the overall pattern of how money is created. And at one point where I have to admit I got it wrong. And I've only realized that I was wrong, first of all, reading Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth, and then by um, putting it into a Minsky model, is that one point modern monetary theory says is the government doesn't need to sell bonds to raise the money. The government uh, creates the money by running a deficit. And it's only a requirement uh, of, of Congress or a parliament and whatever mm. else that they issue bonds to cover that difference. My yeah. feeling was, if, if, if my, my logic, as you know, enough, you know, I've talked about this on many an occasion. Uh, banks create money by lending more than they get back in repayments. Yeah, yeah? and and that's something which is you know, once you accept that money is created by banks, that they don't take in deposits and lend them out again, the, the textbook model, which the Bank of England, Bundesbank, several other central banks have said is wrong after 50 or 60 years of rebel economists like myself saying that it's wrong. Finally, we can quote an authority like the Bank of England and say mm. it's wrong. Banks originate um, loans. When they create a loan, they put an entry on, on the asset side of their ledger uh, which is the, the debt you now owe to them, and an entry on the liability side. The only reason you accept the debt is they've put money in your bank account. If there wasn't yeah. an identical... If, if a bank says, we're going to lend you uh, 900,000 quid and you're going to owe us a million to start with, you would say, no deal, sorry. Okay? I'll accept a million-dollar loan if I get a million dollars. Okay? So there's a one-for-one -one correspondence between creation of debt and money in your account. Debt creates yeah. money. That, Equally that's, one, yeah. that's, that's from the commercial banks. That's from so the commercial banks, yeah. But we also have money being created by governments. through Yes. And, yeah. and whether it's right or wrong, right now that money has been created through the issuance of bonds, which are no. the board on the... Uh, okay. <laughs> well, and again, I, like I, I've had to learn this myself. Okay, um, right. one of the one of the we've forgotten who actually said it. It's probably Albert Einstein or or Mark Twain or one of the favourite uh, characters for uh, uh, for for uh, great sayings. But the best way to understand something is to start by not understanding. Right. Okay. It. Well, I'm right there. And one thing I've got <laughs> in that case, huh? and you're, you're there, mate. But, you're but there. me along okay. with uh, well, most of the finance most industry, most of the population. Yeah. Most yep. of the population, and this right. is the problem. So, uh, like, one thing, if I want to go right back on my own history, when I was first building um, uh, models of monetary dynamics, I didn't accept that repaying a debt would destroy money. It just didn't make sense to me. If a bank creates money, it's not going to want to destroy money, and that was my, my starting point. Then when I put the double and triple keeping together, I found when you, when you see what money actually is, if you define money, it is fundamentally what's in your bank accounts, Plus mm -hmm. cash. Okay. Now we can leave cash out of the out of the out of the yep. picture. Uh, and just say, look, let's just say it's just bank accounts. You repay your debt by saying to the bank, "I'm going to give you." Let's say you've got a million dollars in your bank account. Let's be fantastical here. You've got a million dollars in your bank account. You owe the bank a um, um, hundred thousand dollars. 
Uh, you say, I'm going to transfer $100,000 to the bank. And the bank then says, okay, we're going to reduce your debt by 100,000 from 100,000 to zero. So when your deposit account goes down, so does your debt. So repaying in the sense of when, when the deposit, the sum of all deposit accounts is money, then repaying the debt re reduces the amount of money. So in that sense, repaying a debt destroys money. That's, that's the shorthand which people like Graziani and Minsky used that I didn't think they were right. I found ultimately they were correct and my, my gut feeling was wrong. So when you look at modern monetary theory, the argument made by monetary and monetary theory is the very act of running a deficit creates money. Right. Yeah. Okay. The creation is actually the deficit but itself, in, in, in the not whether you sell bonds. Right, but that is the vehicle, isn't it? It doesn't have to be, but that is the vehicle. Oh, right now, if the Treasury, which has uh, which has racked up seven trillion dollars in debt, they've created that debt by issuing bonds, haven't they? They've they've basically. They've turned it in. This is where Stephanie uses the that's what's in, in her book. That's, she uses that's, this. that's the reality of it, the way. It's that, that, that's what's happening. But it, 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 the point which I've realised again just in the last couple of weeks. So it's hardly stuff I'm going to knock you for not having worked out yourself. Um, is that if you're going to create money? Let's think about the, with the, the, with the, when the bank does it. What's going on is there's an increase in the asset side of the bank, and there's an increase in the liability side yeah. of the bank. Even for a central okay. bank. Assets rise, liabilities rise. Even for uh, a central bank. Uh, for, well, even for a central bank. If there's an operation that hits both the asset side and the liability right. side, then you increase the assets, you therefore either increase the liability right, or the but we're equity. Not, but we're, okay. When we're talking about government debt, we're not talking about a bank, though, are we? We're talking about the, the, the government has said we, we are racking up debt of $7 trillion. We've spent $7 trillion that we... Uh, that we, that we yeah, don't but, have, but, and the, but, but and the assets it, will be whatever it might be. We've built a motorway, or we've built a bunch of hospitals. Yeah, but how do you how do you build the motorway? Yeah. You put money in in, in um, the the bank accounts of people laying on the blacktop to quote old um, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. So to actually, way you pay for that is you make a deposit in the bank accounts mm. of people who are out there laying down the blacktop, uh, right. and and that increases their the bank that's increasing. A liability account for the private banking system, and it's increased through the reserves. Okay, so, 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 so an example of the yeah. the, the, uh, the US, uh, the, the government put one thousand two hundred pounds uh, dollars into into everyone's bank account. Yeah, that was a cost of the government, yeah. but it was a uh, it, it, but it was also a, a, an asset for the, for those people who, who yeah. received that. So they they get twelve hundred. So they, they, their bank accounts rise by twelve hundred. What happens on the asset side of the banking sector? Reserves rise by twelve hundred. Mm. Okay. Now, since they've risen by twelve hundred, that's actually created the money. The increase in the asset and the increase in the liability together that creates the money. Now, where, do, where does the sale of bonds come into it? Okay. Well, if the if the if the central bank was was financed, well, you've got to go one level higher again and say what's happening at the level of the central bank, because what's happened there is the treasury has spent money out of its deposit account. Which means its deposit, yeah. which its 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 liability to the central bank has gone up. Now, how is that liability at the central bank managed? Well, the central bank could give the government a loan directly, which is what's actually happening in the UK right now as well. If, so uh, with, if, that's the, right. If the central bank gets involved, but if if the government believed it could yeah. sell seven trillion dollars worth of of bonds 
on the money markets, it would do that, wouldn't it? So I, so so the government says well, I'm going to give you twelve hundred dollars to go into your into your bank account, and I'm going to issue twelve hundred dollars in bonds, and somebody else buys those twelve hundred dollars in in bonds. So in effect, they've been buying something that is finding itself in my bank account. Yeah, but and in fact, without the central bank stepping in, but the central bank steps in because there's just a sheer such a sheer volume. Uh, there's concern that it will all be sold on the money markets effectively without influencing the no, interest rates. No, this, again, this, this is, we should do actually maybe just do a, like a vidcast on this one and maybe have the, have the Patreon audience on as well at some point to cover it. But, mm. And it allows share screening as well, but we haven't actually got share screen going here, so I can't actually share you and show you the double entry bookkeeping that I'm working with. But the, 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 the way that I've come to understand this is that to create money you have to act on both the liability and the asset side of the private banks. Now, they themselves do that through loans and repayments. When the government does it, it's making a deposit into somebody's bank account, which increases the bank liabilities. That turns up as an increase in the reserves of the bank, which is an increase in the bank's assets. So what happens yeah. is the running a deficit creates reserves on the asset side of the bank. And with that creation of reserves, you then have the banks who don't necessarily want these reserves because they can't lend them out. We know that's a wrong theory. They can't lend those reserves out. And if there's no interest being paid on reserves by the central bank, remember reserves are a deposit of the private banks at the central bank. If there's no interest being paid by the central bank on reserves, then it's a dead asset for the banking sector. So what then happens is the, the government, the Treasury says, we will issue bonds to finance that. And the, you can you give the banks a choice. Do you want to hold your assets in reserves, which earn no interest? Or do you want to hold your assets in Treasury bonds, which earn an interest rate? Well, duh, the bank says, I'll take the interest rate, thanks. So what they do is they use the reserves which have been created by the deficit to buy the bonds. And they then swap a non-interest earning asset, which is the reserves, for an interest earning asset, which is the Treasury bonds. And that's what's actually going on. So, and this is one point which hit with Stephanie Hammers in uh, the deficit myth, and which I missed. You know, most of the deficit myth, of course, you know, is second nature to me. I'm used to working in it. There was nothing revelationary. The one point where I had to say, right, I hadn't worked that out. When people ask me, does a government deficit create money? I would say, to the extent to which the central bank buys the bonds. Now, that turns out to be wrong. It is simply the deficit itself that creates the um, the money, the sale of treasury bonds to the private banks is an asset swap so far as the private banks are concerned because they go from one thing on their, on their asset side, which is the reserves, that earns no interest, to another thing on the asset side, which does earn interest. It's simply an asset swap for them. And there's no money creation by them. It's simply reallocating from the reserves to the treasury bonds. And then if the central bank buys the bonds through open market operations off the private banks, that is simply taking those assets off the private banks and giving them reserves once more. But it's reducing the amount of money the treasury has to pay in interest payments to the private banks. So um, there is no sense in which the government needs to sell the bonds to finance itself, since it has the central bank, which can do that anyway, by, by making a loan to it. So the only, only reason the rules are there in that sense 
uh, so that the Treasury has to maintain a positive or non-negative uh, balance of the central bank. But it all ends up um, being created because the Treasury can handle having negative equity. This is, um, this, this is my generalisation of the point of modern monetary theory where they say the government deficit is the private sector surplus. That's, that's a flow at point in time. So all this... What that means... So I'm, yeah, I'm being very yeah. slow on this, but I suspect a lot of, uh, of other people will be slow on it too. Well, maybe not. Maybe yeah. I'm the only one and everyone else is way ahead of me on this. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Believe me, mate, I, I took a while to get here so too. I, um, so the government so the government spends a trillion dollars or two trillion dollars. So you say they get another a wave of, uh, of, of uh, stimulus, which they want it to find its way ultimately into people's bank accounts because they want people to spend to keep the keep the economy moving yeah so that money will find its way into commercial banks so you're saying it's it's an asset for the commercial banks which raises the question why not just put the money straight into those bank accounts but they don't do that they issue bonds and then the banks well, buy the bonds so you- well no they, 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 it's a question of when they issue the bonds I mean there, there can be time lags yeah. uh, when the bonds can be issued uh, you know after the tax is spent you can actually have people have the bond sales preceding you can anticipate what the necessary requirements might be so you sell bonds in advance but uh, the overall the, the bond operation itself doesn't create any money the operation that creates the money is running a deficit in the yeah, first place. Yeah, for sure. So, it's, so it, um, that was my sort of point. It, does it make any difference whether they actually say, well, okay, uh, let's just put the money into directly into people's bank accounts or whether we actually issue bonds and then the bonds it get bought by yeah. the banks? Makes no yeah, difference the, whatsoever. The, yeah, no, no. The only difference it makes is that if the, if the government sells treasury bonds, then the, 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 the banking sector has income-earning assets and the income that they earn is interest paid by the treasury and fundamentally the treasury borrows that from the central bank so the treasury is going into negative equity to pay the interest on bonds and that is partly what pushes up the equity of the banking sector uh, so that's 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 one necessary there's one reason you might actually want to do that when you had a financial crisis going because the equity of the private banks is being trashed during a financial crisis okay let's simplify this even further you are the entire american population and I am the entire American government. Uh, I lend you a trillion dollars. You've got a trillion dollars now. Uh, you owe me that trillion dollars, don't you? I want to get it back at some point. No, because when you, when a government gives money, it doesn't say, here's a trillion dollars, by the way, you owe us a trillion dollars. That's a bank. Okay. When right, a government, but that's the way, but that is the, that's the thinking though, isn't it? That's the way that's the governments that's and the, the general population thinks. If, if the government right, gives money, yeah. it's got to give back. Yeah, I mean, we're in deficit. We're in $7 trillion in deficit. We've got to get that back somehow. And the point is, obviously, we that don't. won't Be- happen. Yeah. Yeah, because what again? Again, this is modern monetary theory's point about a deficit. Uh, it, it's the, the, the negative. The deficit for the government sector becomes a surplus for the private sector. So that that's the flow. Mm. With Minsky, I can look at the stocks. I can say, what are the, if you if you those flows continue over time? What happens to the stock of outstanding debt and the stock of money? And the result is. In terms of money created by the government sector, the amount of go- private government debt outstanding is precisely equal to how much government money has been created. So if you say you want to get rid of the debt, you're saying let's get rid of the money. And that's not what people want at all. Right. But that is what people are saying. So when you have that, yeah. that motion that I talked about, which is saying that, uh, you know, it's going to create runaway inflation. I mean, that's a, that, that is a, that's a, that's a common belief. 
and that belief well, is, that, is that, that is that is that is feasibly true. I mean, when it comes to what the consequences are of that government money creation, then it could well be that it drives inflationary pressures when you don't want money. Them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, or, or it goes into asset markets where you don't want it, it doesn't go into the physical economy, et cetera, et cetera. Those are issues of, of the amount being created. And, but it's, again, as modern monetary theory argues, it's the, it's the consequences of the action rather than the feasibility of the action. When you look at the accounting, uh, it's not only is it a feasible thing for the government to run a deficit, it's a necessary thing for the government to be in negative equity if you want the non-government, non, the, not the private sector, to be in positive equity. So the, this again, this, yeah. So the role of central banks in all of this, so it sounds like they're not necessarily needed if we knew that where we wanted the money to end up. But we don't know precisely. When we say, well, we're going to introduce some sort of government stimulus measures, we, know, we might say, well, okay, a slug of it's going to go into, directly into people's bank accounts and we know where, what those bank accounts are. But by and large, we've not, we've not got a, a mechanism, have we, if we're pumping money into the economy. So I'm assuming sort of like the idea of the bond markets is if we've got some sort of finance industry intermediary that there's, there's a mechanism that is magically somehow going to ensure that that money finds itself into the place where it's most needed. The central bank is necessary in the sense that you need to be act as a government. You've got to own your own bank. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and, and again, this, I'll be explaining this some more in a couple of, of, of future um, blog posts on the Patreon site. Um, but the, the, one of the surprising results I got was that I, my expectation, again, was that if I modelled the relationship between the Treasury and the central bank and then the central bank and the private sector and the Treasury and the private sector and so on, I expected I'd find the central bank goes into negative equity. And I was going to say, well, then the central bank can handle being a negative equity unlike a private bank. But much to my amazement, all the equity effects turned up on the Treasury's books, not on the central bank. So the central bank ended up with neutral effects on its, nothing changed its equity. The, the, the entity that carried the negative equity of running a deficit over time to enable the, the non-government sector to be in surplus was the Treasury. So, and then the question is, does anybody order the Treasury? Um, the Treasury can cope with negative equity. You and I can't. Right, but uh, I don't understand how that works. If mm, I'm if I'm the mm, if I'm the government and you're the entire American population, I give you a mm, trillion dollars. How do I get equity sitting on my books? I've given the money away to you. That's right. You're and in negative you spent equity. It. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. You've 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 put an asset of other. You've given people money. Um, in in effect, if you look at it like a seesaw, you've said you guys need to be higher up. I'm going to I'm going to sit further, further out and push you up. And your your going negative pushes them positive. Yeah. Okay. So that's it's you think of a seesaw. And when you when you when I look at how people try to think about it without seeing all the double entry interlocking uh, accounting systems that we actually live in, they're saying we want both sides to be up of a seesaw. Mm. So and when the other, seesaw. so when you get up too high, that's when I try and pull you back down by taxing you or, or yeah. stopping that flow but there's of money. An, but there's another little thing I've, I've got to work on the mathematics of shortly and that is a very simple thing the, the, the general belief people have and they're classical economists that knock us all the time, government should run a deficit during bad times and a surplus during good times and if you ask a neoclassical what should be the deficit over time they'd say well a balanced budget that's a fairly common belief. Mm. If you have a balanced budget and you have a growing economy then over time your government sector will go to zero yeah, yeah. Okay. So if you have a growing economy, 
You want to have a government running a deficit so the government remains in much the same ratio it is now. This is something I haven't had a chance to play with yet on the mathematics, but I presume it means that the rather than that, if you once you admit you're in a growing economy, if you see the economy growing at roughly three percent per annum, then you want a government deficit of three percent to be your median, not uh, what happens during a a, a, during a slump. You want the average over time to be a three percent deficit to maintain government at, say, 30% of GDP. And if you're hitting times like this where you're obviously spending well above that 3%, you're not getting inflation because we're not seeing, you know, there's just not buying going on because there's a a Mm. crisis going on. So you want to pull back once you see people starting to to spend again. So that's when Mm. we're we're pulling you back down on the the seesaw that you're talking about. But if but it's still not necessarily going to be running a, running a surplus. No, okay, um, it's going to be a it's extraordinary. Deficit. No, yeah. it'd be a smaller deficit, not yeah. a larger. You know, because again, the deficit is creating the money the rest of us use to spend, and this is you know, one reason that I, I like the government being involved in neutral ways of creating money, like for example, financing university fees and school fees, paying for uh, universal health care. We all need those things. We can see what happens when you have to pay for them. You get the sort of disasters we're seeing in America with. COVID right now. Uh, so there's no argument for the private sector to do the actual uh, billing. You'd rather say, let's have the government create the money, the government spend it, um, and you, you decide which, which health services you need at the time, along with some pandemic insurance. Um, that is a better way to go about it than the, the usual picture people have of bureaucrats telling you what to do. But so whatever the magic figure is, say it is 3% deficit, average that, 3%, the government can run a in effect, what we'll call a three percent deficit uh, every year. In other words, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. spending three percent more than they're getting back in in tax uh, or or from what other revenue sources they have. So that is that's going to extend the money, expand the money supply by three percent. Well, three percent plus whatever yeah. the commercial yeah. banks do as well. That's right. Okay, yeah. they, they don't have because you don't have control. So you can use that and say, well, okay, we've got control of the economy uh, by controlling what that deficit is. You don't have control of the commercial banks, of course, and what they do in terms of extending their loans, which could be. Well, this is. I mean, this, this is one reason with Minsky, I can I can do something which modern monetary theory itself hasn't yet done, and that's integrate its uh, logic about government spending with what the banks do. Mm. Again, Stephanie in the book I saw a challenge on Twitter recently about why don't you talk about private banks, and she said it's because it's a book about government money creation Mm. so she's not saying that it doesn't matter she's saying it's not something i covered in that book and that's quite a legitimate claim to make but what i can do with minsky is include that in the system and what you find is if the government tries to run a surplus which i can i can set up in the model and i'll I'll show this in a, a future paper a future blog post on patreon if they run a surplus that puts the private sector in an identical deficit so the private sector seeing its money supply fall the economy when you're running a surplus will normally shrink now, what we see in the real world is, oh dear, the government's running a surplus, the economy expanded. The 1920s, wasn't that a fabulous decade? Mm. Every year of this 1920s, Calvin Coolidge ran a 1% of GDP surplus and raved about how well the economy is performing. With my model, they're saying the economy should have been going down. What's the countering factor? The private sector borrowed like effing crazy from the private banks. 
And when I, when I put the two together, I have the government running a surplus and lots of borrowing from the private banking sector. You can get a booming economy, but that's coming at the expense of an increased level of private debt. Now, one reason why you'll borrow that money from private banks when the government's running a surplus is your money supply is falling. Yeah. So Douglas Adams, yeah. of course, yeah. weighed into all of this, didn't he, in, uh, in, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I think... Uh, You'll say he's wrong. Brilliant books, but he's wrong on this because he, he gave the example of the management consultant explaining how uh, on a planet somewhere the leaf was adopted as the, the legal tender. And all of oh, a sudden, yeah. <laughs> every, everyone was incredibly rich because there were so many of them. And then inflation kicked in due to the high level of leaf availability. And so uh, three deciduous trees would buy one peanut, for example. So they burned down all the forests uh, because that seemed like the logical thing to do. Uh, sort of half We're talking right. Golga Fringians here, who are the only people who make Donald Trump look smart. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and I mean, they, the, the fact is, they, 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 you know, if they did, if they'd started with one tree and then they'd grown the tree available, the leaf availability at a steady pace, 3% per year, for example. Well, they they were the people who said to a Douglas Adams at one stage, OK, no, it was a Ford prefect, wasn't it? OK, if you're so smart, you tell us what colour the wheel should be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Important questions like that. But look, what is the, mm. what is the, what is the edge of, uh, uh, of this approach? So if we have another wave of the virus, and we will have it, and so yeah. governments have to spend trillions again, and then maybe mm. trillions again, you know, six months later... Uh, do we get in, in inflation, or do we get do we do we get to a point where the the government is issuing so much debt or creating so much money? Let's not call it debt, but they're creating so much money. Hmm. Um, and we're already seeing, as we talked about last week, you know, people turning to gold, uh, and uh, you know, the, the the devaluation of the the U.S. dollar because there is just so much of it of it being created. Hmm. Uh, you know, almost getting back by default to sort of like gold standard days, aren't we? Where the idea uh, of, of fiat currency is is, is getting challenged because people are looking for something solid. No, I mean, again, let's look at the Second World War. That's probably the best analogy we've got for the COVID crisis. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm now I'm now looking at it in a different way to the way that I did um, before reading Stephanie's book and before building this Minsky model, and that is that. Uh, the deficit, the, the UK deficit in 1940 was 40 percent of GDP. Now yeah. it issued bonds to cover that 40 percent of GDP. So the feeling is the government had to go in massively in debt to finance the war effort. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had you know, would have, you would be speaking German in, in, in Whitehall right now. In fact, because the deficit created the money, the sale of the bonds was effectively an asset swap for the banking sector. And that gave you a monumental increase in the level of government debt to GDP in the UK. I think it reached 350% of GDP. Okay, And the thing, how can you ever pay it back? Well, you, you didn't have to because that increase in private debt, and I'm now thinking in America's data, which I know better on this front, America had very, equally very, very large deficits. Uh, that financed an enormous amount of private sector spending to build the tanks and to pay the, the wages and buy the rations and so on. And the private sector paid its debt levels down after, after the second, during the Second World War. So you began with this huge level of government debt, but what it really was was an asset swap for the money that had been created during the during the war by running deficits for the war. Mm. So the, it was just the fact that the money was earning interest for the banking sector because it had been issued as bonds rather than the government was in debt to the banking sector. And they could easily pay those bonds, pay the interest, et cetera, et cetera. And they were injecting money into the economy, which meant people didn't feel the need to get massively in debt. 
Right. So we're going to go through the same thing again in that case. And yet, or are, or, or are yeah. we, or are we going to look at that seven trillion dollars and say, well, we've got to, we've got to pay that back? Which is, I mean, Rishi Sunak in the which UK we, is saying, we, yeah. you know, we need to start moving into that next stage. We need to start, which we, which we don't have to do. Mm. It is simply a case of we've we've created an asset for the banking sector by selling these bonds. If we hadn't sold the bonds to them, the government would have a debt to the central bank and the banking sector would have all these excess reserves, which they can't use. Yeah. Because the excess reserves can't be lent. And the other side of the the equation in all of this, of course, is the fact that the, the government is issuing these bonds and there is the belief that they need to be paid back at some point. Then there's every interest in trying to keep interest rates low isn't there because we don't want the uh, yeah. the value of those bonds to get uh, or, or the repayments on those bonds uh, but to, if interest to get rates so are high the government has to pay more indeed yeah but if interest rates are high the government is providing more finance for the for the for the finance sector yeah. remember the old saying that the old the old 336 rule for banking yeah. old 363 rule uh, you know uh, Borrow at three, lend at six, and be on the golf course by three o'clock. <laughs> now, that's what I wish bankers were doing rather than bloody uh, uh, Donald Trump doing it. Yeah. But what so was financing it? Well, they had, they had such a level of government bonds, they were getting that money that way. They didn't need to be trying to rip money out of the, uh, out of the uh, household sector or get Ponzi schemes for the commercial world because they were making plenty of money out of their bond holdings. Yeah, So, but the thinking is right now would be uh, the, the non-monetary theory, but the idea that it's just government debt issued as, issued as bonds is we need low interest rates uh, because the government is going to have to, be, if, it, if, if it's sold on the, uh, on the open market, then the government is having to pay the, the interest on those each year. So if it's a low interest rate, then it's less money that the government has to pay. I, the fact mm. is it's also less money for, for the finance sector who's, who's buying those bonds. So, so you're right on that. But the fact mm. that the interest rates are being kept long, is low to perpetuate that for the foreseeable future. I mean, God, when do you pay $7 trillion back? It's going to take, you know, if, if that's the thinking, that's going, to take, that's going to take forever. And it's not healthy having low interest rates. No one saves. Everyone buys assets. It, it skews the economy totally. Well, it's actually private debt that's caused interest rates to get to be that that low, not not government debt. Uh, and other government debt was, but it's um, but, it, but it's it, it's not going to move now because of because of the government debt because there's all these bonds yeah. that have been issued. But again, what we tend to do is focus upon. Again, this is another another shortcoming in how we think. We focus upon paying the debt itself down, yeah, without seeing which reducing government debt without realizing if you're going to if you're going to run a, a surplus for the government then you reduce GDP by precisely the scale of the surplus. Plus, you're taking money out of circulation, which means you have an indirect impact on GDP as well. So trying to pay the government debt down actually tends to reduce GDP even more and give you a higher debt ratio. So I, I hear you, all, but I'm, all I'm saying is that that is the way yeah. the thinking, conventional thinking is, and, and that is the way yeah. we are operating as well. We are issuing, those, we are issuing yeah. those bonds. We're keeping interest rates low so that we don't have to pay too much back on them. Uh, with the with with the belief that at some point that, that they will be paid back, and that's that's helping to keep interest rates low for for the foreseeable future. So what needs to happen is that mind shift, doesn't it? And that that mind shift is we don't want bonds, we don't need the bonds in the in in this sequence. Yeah, well, then you see see the bonds are simply a, a a way of giving the banking sector an income earning asset rather than a non income earning one. Uh, which is reserves, uh, where the excess reserves have been created by running a deficit. So, 
And that's, that's why, these, why the bonds are always oversubscribed, because the money is sitting mm. there learning no interest for the banks. And you say, why don't you swap them for treasury bonds that actually earn interest? Oh, yeah? <laughs> can, can I be number one on the list? So they always get oversubscribed. And this is why, because the deficit itself creates the money that is used to buy them. And it's simply an asset swap on the... The, on the asset side of the bank, banking sector's ledger, it's just a very sensible asset swap. That's why they'll, they'll never not subscribe to them. You're turning down right. free money in the sense you're turning down interest on money you've currently got that earns no right. interest. And the fact that you, if you keep on going down the road, you're going to have more and more money. So each dollar is going to be worth less and less. Uh, but still, the, the, choice, the, the, the same choice still applies. It's a, yeah. It's a, yeah. You want an income yeah. or not. All right. So, what yeah. changes then? Very quickly, how do we how do how do we change the thinking? What has to happen? What does the government need to do to say, well, okay, we we are going to embrace modern monetary theory now? This is what changes. Well, what would change is worrying about the deficit. As again, as, as as Stephanie's book argues, it's a myth that the deficit matters. What matters is the state of the economy, and frankly, yeah. and of course, the state of the ecology as well. Uh, you know, I just am, I'm waiting for a politician to come and say we can't afford to save the environment; it costs too much money. Yeah. Well, let's all die. Okay, so on a, um, so on average, yeah. we say yeah. over a, over a period of time that we're going to say we're going to spend three percent more than. Um, uh, than we accumulate, but in times when times are tough, we, it could be considerably more than that. And 10, 20, and 40% like we did during the Second World, World War. War. What do we do then? Do we, are we still issuing bonds then? What happens to the money that sits in the... Yeah, we, sits we, in we, we, issue, issue, if you want to issue the bonds, or the, the bonds provide an income source for the finance sector. Right. They don't actually provide the money the government uses. The government creates the money by running the deficit. So it's, it's not a case of needing to sell the bonds to cover the deficit. Um, it, if we, but it doesn't have it, to. Again, it doesn't have to be through bonds, though. It could. It could just be straight. Tran- well, I guess it could just yeah. be. It could just be straight transfers from the from the central bank to 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 another distribution mechanism to get money out into the economy, couldn't it? Could, well, the central like, bank could give the, give the lo- lend the money to the create the money as an asset for itself as a loan to the treasury and put the money in the treasury's accounts. And of course, the treasury yeah. owns the central bank, so there are no interest payments necessary. Well, that sounds a better way, doesn't it? By and large. Mm. Which is, which is, again, is what modern monetary theory people are arguing for, that we, uh, that you don't even need to provide the finance sector with interest. At the moment, I'd rather be reducing the income of the finance sector rather than increasing it. I wouldn't mind getting back to the days where they don't make a lot of money out of the private sector and they make more money out of the government. That's more sustainable than whether what the private sector in two and, you know, two and three times income is its debt level. Yeah, and, and trying to flog uh, homeless, people who can't afford it, and uh, yeah. trying to push the turnover up that way. Okay. It makes a it makes a bit more sense. Are we going to reach this conclusion after after when when the U.S. is at, at fourteen trillion dollars in debt and everyone realizes there's nowhere in the world that is ever going to be repaid? Just thinking it doesn't shift, need to be repaid. Yeah, doesn't need is and doesn't need to and won't be anyway. Even even if it did, there's no way they can do that without completely destroying let, let, the economy. How, 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 how would you pay back seven trillion dollars without? Because you would be pulling that money out of the out of out of the private sector. You would destroy the economy if you did that. So there's got to yeah, be that acceptance yeah. that that's where they are right now. Yeah, that's right. It's you know it, it's it's a record of your past history. Uh, it's not it's not a sign that you don't have a future. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's a, finish on that line. Yeah, I like that. Very good. There we are. I won't tell anything then. We'll just go. Uh, good, to, good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Okay, mate.
Interesting, isn't it? That says, so concerned are some people about the influence of modern monetary theory that in Australia, the uh, chief correspondent, the chief economics reporter for the ABC, Emma Alberici, lost her job, supposedly for writing articles that seem to support the idea of MMT. You would think, wouldn't you, as a journalist, you have at least the, uh, the need to report on the thinking. I mean, people can't live in ignorance of the concept, even if some people, having been furnished with all of those facts, choose to dismiss it. And that is the Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby, back with Steve Keen again next week. Thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.